Bickley and Murata mornings from 6 to 10. Bickley and Murata. It's the greatest show on earth. Bickley and Murata. Good morning and welcome. Dan Bickley. Sports, man. Sports. Vince Murata. It's a power-packed morning zoo. Are you kidding me? Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata. I love this show. This is the greatest show in the history of radio. It's the greatest radio show ever. Bickley and Murata. I hate everything about this show. This is the worst show in the world. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday, Valley sports fans. There are days when it's very tough to be a sports fan in Arizona. We have learned this. We're living it as we speak. There are also days. Just the ones that end in Y. There are decades that are hard to be sports fans. Yes, there there is that. Uh, There are also days when when you thank um, your blessings for living in a place that has limited natural disasters. Mm. And I'm talking about what's going on right now in the Tampa, Florida area. Did you see sharks I washing the shore? Yes, serious? sharks on the highway. You didn't see this? Sharks no. swimming down the street yeah, basically there was, is what it was. Oh. There was. Yeah, there was so much water being displaced that one came in off the bay and was swimming in a flooded street. Oh, Did you yeah. see the video of the house? The, the yeah. whole house floating yes. down the street? Yes. Oh, man. I uh, just was talking with Mike Brumet, who works on our, our brother or sister station, however we refer to it. He's got family in Fort Myers. He said he believes his mom's home is gone. <gasps> Ooh. Oh, that's yeah. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, my mom's probably coming to live with me. I got that to look forward to. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> that was the awful part. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, then there's the weather guy. The weather guy who is insisting on doing live stand-ups in the middle of a hurricane. Do you think that he's insisting on it or the, the station? <laughs> a great. Yeah. It, uh, you really asked the question that was bouncing around my brain this morning. The guy that has to go out there and interview the hurricane. Right. <laughs> right. right. Because We've got an hard, exclusive with Ian. There's some hardcore dudes, news dudes, who have to be as close to the news as possible. Like Jim Cross. If oh, there's yeah. a fire going Oh, my out, goodness. Hall of Famer Jim Cross. Absolutely. Yeah. Hall of Famer Jim Cross. It's official. You're right, though. But yeah, but the video I think you're talking about is the guy that got hit with the tree tree branch. branch. Yeah. 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 Jim Cantor. That's like one of the famous guys that interviews the hurricane. Yeah. Jared is saying that his bosses are probably like, dude, you can do that from the studio. No. I've got to be out there. (laughs) Have you heard of Zoom? (laughs) (laughs) Any background you want behind you. Right. Yeah, uh, that, that's only going to end badly oh, one, yeah. one time and change the industry there. There was a, there was a famous story of uh, there was an old gruffy journalist back in the day when when the hurricane I'm sorry when the earthquake hit the Bay Area and disrupted the World Series. There was a bunch of sports writers who suddenly had to morph into hard news reporters mm-hmm. because they were on the scene. And so a buddy of mine who was just a sports guy was sharing a room with this old school news guy. And they're like, and, and my buddy says to him, hey, man, you, you know, listen, if you want to go home, if you want to get out of here, I can just deal this. If you want to try to get a car and get out of here, I'll, I can handle it from here. The guy was sitting in a dark room. There was no power. There was a candle going. He had like a bottle of whiskey on the table. He said, I've been waiting for this story my whole life. <laughs> there's guys like that. There, yeah. But there are guys like that. Thank God there's guys like that. Mm-hmm. We Does know they're suspenders? standing out in the middle of a hurricane <laughs> for no reason. 
The visuals. We're talking it about is. it. It's dumb because a camera pointed out the outside works the same as a person standing out there telling you about it. True. That's it. The win- like, windows, it's, it's the weather you care about, not the person. And, and whoever, whoever thinks about the poor cameraman in that situation. No, no, never. They're disposable in people's minds. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. There's been a lot Get of cutbacks in TV, so those That's guys true. are setting up their own cameras That's usually. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> All right, Farrod, start the show. The Splash. Splash. The stories making waves in the sports world. The Splash. Cannonball. Cannonball coming. Cannonball coming. The Splash. Brought to you by Presidential Pools, Arizona's number one pool builder. See why at presidentialpools.com. Yeah, Cardinals were back on the practice field Wednesday, although the week's first injury report was rather lengthy. Nine key players did not practice either because of injury or rest day. They were Kelvin Beecham, Hollywood Brown, Zach Arts. Uh, A.J. Green, Rodney Hudson, Richard Lawrence, Justin Pugh, Ezekiel Turner, and J.J. Watt. Wide receiver Rondale Moore was back out of practice on a limited basis. He's working his way back from a hamstring injury that kept him out the first three weeks. Cliff Kingsbury did say A.J. Green looking doubtful to play Sunday against Carolina due to the bone bruise he suffered last Sunday against the Rams. For Carolina, only running back Christian McCaffrey missed Wednesday's session. He's got a quad injury. Sunday's game at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, which uh, will likely be affected by rain and heavy rain in North Carolina kicks off at 105 Sunday afternoon. Question on that. Yeah. It's an East Coast Coast game. Why is it a one o'clock start? Can we get an early start? I got stuff to do that day. Does it have anything (laughs) to do with weather? I don't think so. In the area? No? No. I think it's always been on the schedule. There's probably a lot of East Coast games that day. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Uh, week four gets underway tonight in Cincinnati. One and two Bengals. They break out their alternate white helmets tonight and host the Miami Dolphins, one of only two undefeated teams in the NFL at 3-0. and Kickoff 5-15. You can see it on Prime Video. Uh, Cincinnati's kind of a, a more extreme example of the Cardinals, in, in, in my opinion. They're one and two. They've struggled. I think there's still a lot of uh, you know things to, to iron out there, and they're trying to figure out who they are after going to the Super Bowl last mm-hmm. year. It's a big game for the Bengals. I agree. So this is a good game tonight. Period. Yeah, I I think the Bengals are in in, in decent shape just because they've got a they've they've got a traditionally structured offense and they've got a quarterback who's going to figure out figure it out if you keep them healthy. But just like last year, this quarterback's taken a lot of hits. I mean, we talk about the Bills not protecting Josh Allen in terms of his quarterback runs. How about the Bengals not protecting Joe Burrow he's in the been, pocket? Yeah, he's been sacked fifteen <laughs> times already this yeah. year. Uh, Cleveland Browns defensive end Miles Garrett was not at practice on Wednesday, but uh, head coach Kevin Stefanski said Garrett would be back in the building on Thursday. He's recovering from some injuries suffered in a one-car accident. Uh, Garrett was in on his way home from the team facility on Monday. His status still up in the air for for this week's game. He, by the way, there's a record of, uh, he's had multiple uh, citations for going over 100 miles an hour, Mm -hmm. by the way, so he's he's got some issues when it comes to driving and aggressiveness. Yes. Uh, Although the story that came out from Cleveland that day was that he swerved to avoid an animal. Oh, right. But nothing about how fast he was going when he swerved. Right. It's one of those invisible llamas. They're all over the place in Cleveland. <laughs> Chargers put Pro Bowl offensive tackle Rashawn Slater and Pro Bowl defensive end Joey Bosa on injured reserve. Slater's out for the year due to a biceps tendon rupture. Bosa is having surgery on his injured groin and will miss at least the next four weeks. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are preparing in Miami. They've been displaced by Hurricane Ian. And the NFL announced yesterday that if Sunday night's game between the Bucks and Chiefs needs to be moved, it will be held at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota. 
So no, uh, no seeming home field advantage at all for uh, Tampa Bay in that game, if that happens. Uh, Zach Wilson cleared to play this week for the Jets against the Steelers. He had knee surgery in August after suffering a meniscus injury and a bone bruise in the preseason opener. Uh, the Suns continued training camp Wednesday, and head coach Monty Williams, uh, pretty interesting, said he'd preferred if uh, Jay Crowder's situation was settled by the time opening day hits. The veteran forward has been granted permission, along with his agents, to seek a trade out of Phoenix after two years with the Suns. Opening night, by the way, is coming up October 19th at Footprint Center when the Suns host Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Uh-oh. We'll get into that today. Uh-oh. I think that's a, an interesting quote and uh, a lot of possibilities there. Uh, Aaron Judge tied the American League and Yankees team record with his 61st home run last night in an 8-3 win over the Toronto Blue Jays. Judge hit a 3-1 pitch from Toronto's Tim Meza over the wall and left to break a 3-3 tie in the eighth inning. That has, uh, broke his string of seven straight homerless games for Judge, and now he's got seven games remaining to break Brett Maris's record, which has stood for 61 years. Yeah, nice scene. I'm glad it happened. I think I think Aaron Judge has had himself a phenomenal season, quite obviously. Uh, the story of Frankie Lasagna. I cannot <laughs> wait to talk about Frankie Lasagna. Frankie Lasagna, Joe Capicola, Three Mastacholi. It's like Andy Reid's alter ego. <laughs> Tony Managot. Tony Managot. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice win for the D-backs last night in Houston. They topped uh, the Astros 5-2 in 10 innings. The D-backs managed to squeeze out two runs off of starter Justin Verlander in the first. Probably felt like they hit the lottery at that point. Dalton Varsho scored on a pass ball. Christian Walker had a sack fly that scored Taven Smith. Zach Ke- uh, Gallen kept that does a zero on the board for the Astros until the fifth when Chaz McCormick connected on a two-run shot to tie it at 2-2. And in the tenth, the D-backs took the lead on uh, Varsho's fielder's choice uh, that scored Carson Kelly. And then Christian Walker drove in two more with a single. Mark Melanson, a 1-2-3 tenth inning to close it out for the save. D-backs split in I Houston. I knew he had it in him. <laughs> Just took him a while to yeah. get going. Uh-huh. Uh, today is an off day for the D-backs. They make their way to San Francisco for a three-game weekend series against the Giants at Oracle Park. And the Coyotes fell in preseason play to the Anaheim Ducks. 3-1. They are now 0-3-1 on the preseason. And their next game Tuesday night in Vegas against the Golden Knights. There you go. There is your splash for Thursday, September 29th. Coming up, Cardinals gearing up for a big game against the Carolina Panthers. Weather should be a factor. We'll get into all the notes and headlines from Wednesday next. It's Bickley Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Yeah, I think that'll be good. Um, I know the history of Arizona, those early starts hasn't been great, but I think that that will be good. Hopefully the hurricane has passed through somewhat at that point as well, and so there, there could be some positives there. there uh, Cliff Kingsbury on what we talked about in the splash, the later start, the 4 p.m. Eastern time start, 1 o'clock uh, Arizona time as opposed to going east. And having to play that ten o'clock, uh, yeah, I guess it. Uh, yeah, what the team wants is more important than what I want. Yeah, it's, I was going to say you really line. made that really very yeah. much about you. I do that sometimes. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's all right. There's a Suns game that night. It's going to be a oh, long day. So there you go. Figured well, I'd have a little gap between the end of now the game and. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, I'm making it about me. Now right? you, yeah, that's, I apologize. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I got you. Now you're probably going to have to catch the ending at the arena, right? Um. 
Probably, yeah. yeah. Boy, yeah. imagine yeah. Yeah. imagine the time difference that the Australian team is going through right now. I wonder if they're complaining. How their schedule's right. off. Right. Yeah. How about that? How about that? Here's a little nugget for you. The last time the Arizona Cardinals won a football game in Charlotte, North Carolina, was that playoff win on their way to the Super Bowl. The Jake DeLome game. The Jake DeLome six game. interception game. When he threw like nineteen picks. It's uh, it, it Charlotte's an interesting city. It, it's and and the football stadium is very nice. Every time I've been there, I've been very kind of impressed by the vibe down there. It, it's amazing to me that the Cardinals have had such marked lack of success since that game, and it and it's kind of weird too. The intersecting paths of these franchises. That victory over the Panthers on the road was the key to the Cardinals Super Bowl berth. That was the game that nobody expected them to win, mm-hmm. and that opened everything, and suddenly there were no obstacles in front of them, the next thing you know, they're in Tampa in the Super Bowl. Um, there have been the, the loss to Cam Newton in the 15-1 and Panthers in that blowout. There was the Ryan Lindley Bowl. There's, there, we've had a lot of interesting, weird history for a team that really is no you know regional connection, no sure. conference connection. And you, the series-wide? Carolina's eight and three at home against the Cardinals, fourteen and five overall mm-hmm. against the Cardinals. And, I, and the recent history, I mean, this is an opponent that the Cardinals have played in all three years of Cliff Kingsbury's tenure: an eighteen-point loss, a ten-point loss, and a twenty-four-point loss. Yeah, yeah. Matt Rule has had Cliff Kingsbury's number, which would be very troubling to to people who are not digging the trend of the season. I think most of us are in that group. Uh, I also think, and it's just a little pet theory of mine. I, I think think that if you really do get these wet, rainy conditions in Charlotte on Sunday, might be the best thing that's happened to this football team. It might make them focus on being physical, on attacking the line of scrimmage, right? Seriously. So, I mean, it, it, might, it might really simplify things for them in a good way. Remember yeah, the like, Bears game? Remember the Bears game? Yeah, like, okay, es- like that. Establish the run game quickly. Yes. Yes. Sense of desperation that we're not going to win with Kyler doing his magical tricks. It's so we're going to have to run and and out physical this football team. This this kind of thing might help this team find themselves a little bit. Now, am I grasping? Maybe, yeah. But I but I I think that I, I, I something about this I think is going to help the Cardinals just kind of limit what they're focusing on because I think they're a mess right now. Yeah, I mean, they've certainly put that out there. Uh, speaking of a mess, what if it does rain on Sunday? Here's Kyler Murray. I mean, obviously, that's a, the, you know, it's a, it affects the game. You know, every, I think it affects everybody's game. Um, but if it is raining, we've got to have a plan for that. Uh, if it's storming, we've got to have a plan for that. Um, but we'll be ready to go, regardless if it's, you know, if it's sunny, if it's raining. But will you, though? We're I mean, gonna, hasn't that been the whole issue this year, well, being ready to go? Yeah, that's that has been the big issue. I mean, and, that's just become such a cliche thing, we're ready to go on Sunday. Well, and then every Sunday you come out and you're not ready to go. The brewing story here, and we're going to get into this later, quite obviously, is Kyler Murray and running the football, how ambivalent or ambivalent he is about it. And that's even the wrong word. He doesn't want to do it. Have you ever seen an athlete so good at something, so reticent to display that skill in a sport? It's no. like it's like having a hundred and ten mile per hour slap shot and going, man. I don't want to hurt the goalie. I'm just gonna risk. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna risk shot everything, man. Or you could throw a hundred miles an hour and you just throw yeah, change ups and curveballs. Right, right. So, but this is what's weird about it because in the give and take with Kyler Murray yesterday, he was dancing around this topic mm-hmm. because these numbers are quite clear. 
on on his involvement in running games and what the in in running the football and what they mean to these outcomes. You look at the Raiders game, the only reason that thing turned is because of his legs. You look at the game against the Rams. The only reason they started getting back into the game is, you know, it, at least in the fourth quarter, he finally, you know, offered some plays with his legs. Yet he 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 keeps leaning on this. I just execute the play I'm calling the the play that's called. Yeah, but then he's also talking about how he can check into anything he wants. He's got total autonomy and freedom right. at the line of scrimmage. Right. It, yeah. He's so, got total freedom so to like, not run the so football, like, did he? What, That's what, what he's saying. Yeah. I've got total freedom to not do this. <laughs> I can do what I want right. or not want. Or not want. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury talked about uh, what he sees from the Carolina defense. They're really good. I've always been impressed with uh, Coach Rule and, and the culture that he brings, whether it's at Baylor or at Carolina. Tough nose, physical. They get the ball out. I mean, they, they've put a lot of draft picks, a lot of money into that defense and they play hard and, and play really well together so it'll be a, a huge challenge yep a battle of a one and two teams uh, yeah they're not that good i mean the, the panthers are not as good as cliff kingsbury just described this is a winnable game for the team but there's a lot of things that make you wonder can the cardinals win a game straight up right now uh and what is it with this matchup that has troubled them so much in the past yeah i mean we talked about it earlier in the week i heard burns and gambo talking about it too Number one, this sounds so basic and so rudimentary, but number one on the checklist for the Cardinals this week is to play a professional football game. Uh, they have they've looked like complete disarray. You called them a mess earlier in this discussion. That's kind of what they've been. That's what they've put out there. Don't be a mess. You know the field conditions might be a mess. Uh, your opponent might try to muck things up a little bit for you, but I mean they have looked out of sorts for. 85 to 90% of the snaps they've played. Yeah. They had three drives in the back half of the game when they were dinking and dunking their way down the field against a soft zone Rams defense where they had they ran 15 or more plays on a single drive. Mm-hmm. They only had 13 plays out of the first four drives of the game combined. So, again, it's it's this whole idea of why are you not ready to play competent football in the first quarter of games. And the funny thing is they need sort of something in between that. Yeah. Not a 15-play drive that ends in a field goal that you get five yards per play and also not a three and out every time. It yeah. And listen. And, and a mixture of right. big plays right. and sustained right. drives. Yeah. Well, or don't get behind so teams aren't allowed to play that kind of soft zone against you. Exactly. You know, so and then then finally, another thing is going to be if and the weather might really kind of negate this. But on a dry track, this would be an obvious encore stage for Marquise Brown to come off that game where you were uh, targeted that frequently and you put up a career high number in receptions. I think people are looking, Okay, is this is this is this sort of the launching pad for you now? I don't know if that's going to really be in play if the weather's nasty, though. Yeah, I mean, without knowing the degree, I'm looking at the percentage chances of precipitation. It's going to be raining all weekend, like yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's mm-hmm. going to rain straight through. Just a matter of how bad it is, and yeah. I guess what the field condition looks like once mm-hmm. they take the tarp off on, on Sunday morning. But, yeah, uh, that could be a huge factor in this game. We'll have a lot more on Cardinals Panthers coming up today and tomorrow on Football Friday, and you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Suns still in training camp. Uh, everybody's still talking about one story with the Suns, and that's Monty and D.A., including D.A.'s teammates. We'll get into that and more next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. We've been on top of each other for a long time. I didn't 
talk to Coach much at all this coming either. And the times that I did, he stressed the fact of getting away and having that feeling of, of missing the game, missing your team. And, like you said, you know, it's a long season. We're with each other every day. I think it's fine to get away from each other. Um, we're about to spend the next seven months, eight months, right on top of each other every day. I mean, we see each other more than we see see our family. So I think it's always good to get away, get quiet, and, you know, remove yourself from, from this industry and lifestyle. It's Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns at the training camp yesterday on the whole subject that everybody's still talking about concerning Suns training camp, and that was... What transpired earlier in the week mm-hmm. when DeAndre Ayton said, hey, I haven't talked to Coach since Game 7. Uh, Monty said, yeah, I haven't talked to a lot of the guys either. You, there you hear Devin Booker say it. You know, the situation is different. I don't want to make this like total soap opera stuff. There's got to be a level of concern with it right now until we see what this looks like. But Devin Booker's situation going into the offseason after that, and, and he was culpable for that playoff loss too. It was not very good in Games 6 and 7 either. But his situation was much different than DeAndre Ayton's. Without a doubt. And listen, and that's why trying to make these false equivalencies that, oh, Monty Williams hasn't talked to a lot of different guys. It's different when you're talking about a starting player like D.A. in which you've had a very, very public uh, blow up with on the court in the in the midst of one of the more traumatic games we've ever witnessed. And then you haven't talked to him since. So so to, to make it seem like this is a media creation or overblown, that is nonsensical. The uh, it, it is very clearly something just based by Monty Williams reaction. But here here's where I, I, I think that I look at this differently than a lot of people. Apparently, a lot of people are looking at Monty Williams and saying, why is he doing this? Why? Why? Why has he reached out. What is he thinking? This is really a mistake. Instead of looking at what he is doing, instead of what he hasn't done, which is given him an olive branch or welcomed in or sat him down or talked it out, why aren't people focusing on what he is doing? Mm-hmm. Because what he is doing is more important to me because it's a tell as to where this season is going. Uh, you can see it's very easy to sit here and rip a coach for not talking to a guy like DeAndre Ayton. That's fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm. The, to me, the bigger thing is what is going on here? What are they trying to accomplish? Is it as simple as you said that they're done with the kid gloves? They're done with this. Okay, listen, you got your money and now you think you're just going to be walking here and be happy, happy, happy. Games change, man. Games changed. And or or. It might be a situation here where Monty Williams feels deeply let down by him. And there is nothing D.A. can say. He can only do it on a basketball court. Or they're done with him. Yeah, And he is just nothing more than an asset. And you know what's ironic is James Jones, more than any GM, hates to refer to players as assets. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet, that's exactly what they might be doing with DA. It might be. We we don't know, and we won't know probably until January sixteenth, or, <laughs> or right around there. Uh, what I wish, and uh, you made a reference to this earlier in the week, when you're not in a press conference scenario, but you kind of wish that there was a, a question asked, a follow up question asked. When DeAndre Ayton cut off the question about you know how things are with Monty, and he said, "We haven't talked since mm-hmm. Game seven. and certainly there was a tone. There was an abruptness to what he said that was a bit alarming. I wish somebody would have asked, is is that a big deal? Do you think you need to talk to him? 
I wonder what the answer would have been because, you know, everybody's trying to figure out, independent of, of the Monty Williams thing, everybody was trying to figure out DeAndre Ayton's mood and, and demeanor on Monday. And, you know, is this part of, of the new DeAndre Ayton? His teammates are saying he's not any different around us. His outward um, demeanor has been, you know, noticeably different. But I think we can, I think we can deduce that the outward demeanor now is playing off the fact that the head coach is shutting him out. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know if you believe that or agree with that. But if his teammates say he's exactly the same, I, I think the crack in that came from media day to the next day when Da clearly wanted this out there mm-hmm. that he is not that, that his head coach has not talked to him. And by saying, I'm here, in terms of, well, do you want to talk to him? That tells me, again, that this is just, this is strategic on some level. Do you think it's maybe Monty Williams just thinking, it wasn't that big of a deal, time passed, and and it's everything's going to be fine? No, but again, (laughs) we're in the possibilities business right now, because we don't have any concrete answers. If it were that, he would talk to him. If it were nothing, they would, he would make, he would make it a point to put his arms around him, because that's what he does. Hey, I heard what you said to reporters the other day. Are you good, man? Yeah, you Are we good? Are you good? There's nothing wrong with me, man. We're good, right? Yeah. We're good. So, so again, I, I, I think I really honestly believe that what people have to start focusing on here instead of, oh, this is so bad for DA's psyche. This is not good for the team. They've got to play games in a couple of weeks. There's a longer play here, man. That's, that's what interests me because Monty Williams does not act like this. Yeah. Mark J. Spears, we had him on this week. He was also at Suns Media Day. He spoke to DeAndre Ayton. He said this about DeAndre Ayton's offseason uh, on ESPN's NBA Today. After that game seven, DeAndre Ayton went to Santa Barbara to P3. He worked out for a month, and he decided to just get real, real serious about the game of basketball on a different level. He's in great shape, and he wants people to think about that series he had against the Pelicans, how he's shown that he could be a featured player with the Suns. And so when he said to about Monty, hey, like, I'm going to show him. I think he wants to show that he's an all-star, that he could be the number two at times when needed, the number one option offensively. And uh, Smiley, Jokey, DA, I think he's gone. This is a business to him now, and I think he's coming in with a really serious uh, mentality to be a force with the Suns. Let's assume this is all true. There's two ways to take that. Uh A lot of people hear that and go, good. It's mm-hmm. about time. Uh, we've heard that a lot. We, we, we have, absolutely. But, you know, on the flip side of that, you can ask, why is this happening in year five? Because now there's the responsibility of being a max player? Or there's this chip on DeAndre Ayton's shoulder because he's upset he didn't get the five-year max from the Suns and he had to rely on another organization to find value in him for the Suns to wake up? There was there was uh, reporting on that as well from Ramona Shelburne, also on NBA Today, about... Uh, that whole situation with the max contract and the decision not to give DeAndre Ayton the max after the run to the finals came down to one guy. Does he blame Robert Sarver? Does he blame that front office? Does he blame Monty Williams? And and my understanding from talking to people close to DeAndre is that the, he thinks this was Robert Sarver's decision as well. And Robert Sarver's not going to be the owner anymore. So there is some healing that can happen there. But I know, as you said, Mark, there were some hurt feelings over that contract and how that played out. If they were going to instantly match an offer sheet that he signed, why not just give him the max contract? It's a great question. And then go back to that, that summer setting when, when it was, and DeAndre Ayton knows. He knows what, what happened with that. 
He's the one that sat down one-on-one with Robert Sarver two summers ago. Oh, and that, yeah. that might have yeah. been the, you know, we love you, DA, but we're, we're not going to do this right now. That might have been that talk. We don't think you're worth max money right now. Right. And it could, I mean, this all could still very, very well blow up in the sun's face. Even though DeAndre Ayton is under contract, mm-hmm. he's got 133 million reasons to be professional and play, but we still have no indication he wants to be here. We have no indication that the Suns I, want him here yeah, after a certain I, date. I don't, I, again, I've, I've, sw- I've shifted my opinion. I don't think this has anything to do with what DeAndre Ayton wants. I think he's, I, I think he's happy because he got his money. I, I, he probably has a, li- a, a little bit of lingering bitterness, but I, I don't think that that's the, I don't think that's the story right now, to be quite honest. I do think he enjoys his teammates a lot. So when he plays in games, hopefully it won't, whatever's going on Mm -hmm. won't actually affect him because he does like his teammates. It's just his demeanor was so striking. Obviously, people are going to talk about it until he plays. Yeah, I mean, Sunday night we'll get a little bit of a sampling of what he looks like on the court, not against the greatest competition. But um, yeah, I'm I'm real curious to see what, what. the on-the-court version of DeAndre Ayton. Is, are we going to see that that guy that floats from time, the guy that dominates early and fades and can't get involved? Yeah. What if Monty Williams tells him you're not a starter anymore, man? Oh, look, we got Jock Lendell. <laughs> He's got no, no. the intel no, on the Australian we're starting, team. We're starting Dario. We're starting Dario at the five. We're going to bring you off the bench, man. When you come off the bench, you're going to be featured. Or we're bringing you off the bench. Yeah. Well, it worked Who for Jay. Who knows man? Who knows? Who knows? What, Who knows what Big coming? just said falls under what I said earlier. We're in the possibilities business. We, we have to consider all Listen, options. Again, <laughs> until until we have a, an explanation as to why it's not. I think Monty is the one who's acting far more out of character than D.A., if you ask me. Oh, I, yeah. I, I would so agree with that. So that's where the focus should be. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, coming up next, a historic piece of sports memorabilia is in your hands and then it's not. <laughs> How do you deal if you're Frankie Lasagna? We'll get into it next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Bickley and Murata Mornings. And the payoff. There goes the deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 61. He ties Roger Maris for the American League single season record with 61 home runs. It's a two-run judgy and blast. Here comes the judge. A two-run blast, and the Yankees take a 5-3 lead on number 61 for Judge. That was uh, John Sterling on WFAN last night on the historic home run hit by uh, Aaron Judge. Ties Roger Maris's mark. Roger Maris uh, Jr. in attendance, uh, you know, getting a nice ovation from the road uh, fans or the, the home fans in Toronto. Uh, what a season for Aaron Judge. Oh, man. And he's now one away from breaking that record, which a lot of people, quite honestly, Bick, will consider the single season home run record. What, yeah. The way it's kind of devolved in, in Major League Baseball now is it, it, it's an individual choice to believe in what you want to believe True. in. Uh, and so a lot of people will acknowledge that. Uh, the frivolous side of it, We've got, you know, this this sports memorabilia craze. And during this run, we've heard, you know, and for Albert Pujols chasing 700 home runs, too. You know, a fan decided to keep number 700. Didn't want to give it back to Albert Pujols or negotiate. Wanted to keep it for uh, whatever financial reasons. Mm -hmm. And Albert Pujols was cool with it. But imagine having an opportunity to catch a ball like that. 
And having it go right through your fingers. Unbelievable. <laughs> the story of Frankie Lasagna is all over the place today because this dude, he, he claims last night's game was the only time he's brought a mitt to the game. I'm calling BS on that. But he brought a mitt to the game, and Frankie Lasagna owns an Italian restaurant in Toronto. Right? Yes. Yeah, of course. You're, you're looking at me like that's a, does that surprise you? But is his name, is his name really Franco Lasagna? He said sure on an not? interview today it's actually Francesco Lasagna. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I Googled it. I think it's Frankie Salenza. I think this okay, is the same person. That's probably what it is. Well, let's call him Lasagna, baby. Let's call him Lasagna. So, so. Frankie Lasagna. So Aaron Judge <laughs> hits this nasty, Sinking line drive. It's not like a towering shot that you can track. Similar to McGuire's. Uh, yeah, remember McGuire's record-breaking home run was the cheapest home run he hit all year. Well, but but people thought that that was also an act of the baseball gods because for all the people scrambling for baseballs at that point in time, mm-hmm. that one didn't even get to the fans. That one just barely cleared the fence and kind of rattled around the bowels of the stadium. <laughs> right? Yes. And and so last night's was very much like. That, but Frankie Lasagna reaches his glove down and it's right there, mm-hmm. just inches outside of his reach. And and the dude's a little bit portly, as you would hope an Italian restaurant owner would be. Actually, yes. that's not even him. That was his. That was a, another guy. Frankie Lasagna was the guy on the right, the skinny guy with the beard. What? What? Yeah, I don't trust I'm, I'm an looking, Italian I, I chef. Up, I pulled up in uh, a <laughs> skinny Wait, Italian. No, I don't no. want it. Who, who's the no? I'm who's the guy? Who's the guy that that keeps walking around looking like his dog had died? I I'm not sure who that oh, is. That was Colt McCoy when he was wearing <laughs> right, Texas right. Tech gear. <laughs> we better get this right because because uh, everything about this, what makes this Frankie Lasagna story so good, is the way he is just in utter. Anguish. Yeah, he put after it, the play. He did what they call the surrender cobra. He put his hand on his heads like that. Uh, but yeah, he was on a uh, TV show okay. in Toronto, and I okay. found the footage. Here, here was him describing the moment. This is from Breakfast Television in Toronto. Uh, within five minutes, my phone started blowing up, and my uh, my family, and my friends said I got some good footage of myself. Uh, I got prime time, and uh, I was I was more in shock that uh, I, I went with my buddy who was a Yankee fan. And the, the, the moment that Aaron Judge hit the home run, I thought, I'm about to lose 50 bucks to my buddy, uh, <laughs> who I made a bat with, and uh, I can't believe it. Francesca. <laughs> now, so, so you're I, telling me he's not the guy in the Blue Jays jersey and the Blue Jays he's, hat? He's in the light blue Blue Jays jersey, if you see the, my screen right here. like, So he's on the right of the screen wearing a, uh, a hoodie underneath yeah, it. And, okay. the, and I thought it was the guy in the in the royal blue Blue Jays jersey, too, the heavier guy. The heavier guy had a better shot on the ball. He did, but so he So why are also, they talking to Frankie Lasagna? He also said in that clip clip that he went with his Yankees fan. So there's there's two okay. people in between those two guys and it's a Yankees fan and a woman. And they didn't make any attempt at the ball at all. Yeah. That was their guy. That well, was their ball. Yeah, well it's also kind of a low railing there and you got to be careful, man. That always you know? makes me nervous. Oh yeah. When a ball goes into the upper deck a foul ball and somebody in the front row catches it, I get nope. just stricken with anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, there's uh, it, it's like it's like the play of Michael Pantazis in Chicago. Remember the field goal and the dude jumped out oh of my the God, stands that's and right. caught it. You remember that guy's name, dude? Yeah. Well, I was in the press box at the time, and I was like the fourth Bears writer, so I like did sidebar stuff. I was just supplementary guy, right? So my editor calls me and says, "Dude, you need to go find that guy." And I didn't see the play live, and I'm like, "Come on, man! There's this big game going on. You want me to go find this fan 
And then I saw the replay, and I'm like, oh, man, I shouldn't have talked to my boss like that. I, <laughs> I've been bringing this up sort of with Pujols and, and, again, with Aaron Judge. If he hits 62, which we all think he will, why would anyone want 61? <laughs> so why why would anyone pay a million dollars or whatever for that ball when it's it's nothing? It's not the record-breaking ball. Even 62 is not a record-breaking ball, we but it's at least the American. Happen, yeah, that, well, that's it. All right, so that's if you're it. the guy, well, there is no guy that has the ball. If you were the guy that had the ball, though, would you sell it immediately? No, that's the other thing that's funny. With those guys missing the ball, it trickles down to the bullpen. One of the bullpen coaches, who used to play for the Diamondbacks, Matt Bushman, right? Gets the ball and just kind of hands it to somebody else. Yeah, he, he, he handed it to the head of Yankee security. Did he? So they were going to give it to, I think the, the plan was to give it to the Maris and the Judge family, whatever. Well, but you're right about that. It his, just, his wife is Sarah Walsh. Yeah. She's a sports media. She, she was, was tweeting, tweeting about, yep. I, I just won the lottery. I'm going yep. yeah. to retire. retirement. And then he gave it away and she said, I'd like to announce my divorce. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what's, you know what's interesting? There's a gra- there's a wide um, variety of opinion on what people should do. What is your obligation if you catch a ball like that? Hmm. Some people think you should give it to the team. That you should give it to the player. That you, sh- as a fan, should not hold a player hostage for a piece of memorabilia that he produced. And then there are people who are like, "Oh hell no!" Yeah, right? I What's think the first yeah. thing that you brought up, like, there's a there's as a baseball fan, you have an obligation to the history of the sport for this piece of memorabilia to land in the right hands. Yeah, and I think that attitude was born decades and decades ago before <laughs> people were paying <laughs> right. millions of right. dollars yeah. for sports memorabilia. Yeah, thanks to Todd McFarland for that valley owned Todd McFarland <laughs> friend of mine. Thanks, Todd, for blowing the market to yeah, see, hell. He he bought. Yeah. McGuire's number seventy is that right? He, he bought a like bunch, a whole bunch bought, of them, right? Leading up to it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're probably nearly worthless now. Maybe they're, they're like yeah. nils, right? <laughs> because not only are they, yeah. they're not, they're not the home run record anymore. One, Mm-mm. and they're so tainted from steroids. You mean that NFTs, like, right? And NFTs, sorry, not NILs. NFTs, yeah. BLTs, FBI, CIA, IRS, whatever. BCS. Run DMC. Shut up, Jared. Run DMC. You know what I mean, though? Like, that guy spent, like, millions of dollars on all those balls that are now, they're not even a great conversation piece anymore. That's speculative. Right. Well, there was also a guy recently, I forget what home run it was. He was going to give it to the to the team and the player, and they and all he wanted was, like, a signed jersey, and the, the, they wouldn't even do that. He's like, okay, fine, I'll sell it. And he sold it for three million bucks. He was, I think Darren Ravel just tweeted this out. Really? Uh, uh, yeah. Look on Darren Ravel's Twitter feed. There was In a between guy- sandwich posts, he's got some <laughs> There, there was a, there was a guy who was just of that sensibility that wow, I'm really honored to catch this ball and to be part of this moment, but this moment isn't mine, and 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 this this belongs to the person who created this art, right? I, who am I to benefit from this man's incredible talent? I'm going to give it to them with modest requests in return, and the team's like, no, no, you either you either take that that bag of peanuts and and this rosin bag or, or or you get nothing and like it. And so the guy went and said, okay, then I'm going to sell it. And he sold it for $3 million bucks. And so it was sort of like a cautionary tale uh, that, that maybe the, the sports fan needs to adjust his mindset. I think every case is individual, personally. I do, what would you do? I mean, it's hard to say when you have that kind of financial opportunity in front of you with a record. Yeah. I, I There's mean, also no other example in, in the other sports to compare it to. 
No, because where else do you get memorabilia? Right. right. From, well, from that Tom the live Brady game. football sold for how much last year when we thought it was his last touchdown pass? And that one guy tried to steal Tom Brady's Super Bowl jersey. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole oh, documentary. Yeah. Tom Brady did a whole documentary exhibiting his grace and his forgiveness. Yes. Oh. Go away, Tom Brady. Thank you so much. So, Sarah Ravel did tweet this out 11, okay. 11 hours ago, uh, related but unrelated. In 1974, Braves pitcher Tom House caught Hank Aaron's number 715 home run ball in the bullpen. He gave it to Aaron instead of taking a $25,000 offer from Sammy Davis Jr. Magnavox gave Tom House a free TV. <laughs> Is that right? Boy, was like, that whole sentence you just read was like such. Of its time sentence. Yes. It very had, had like five references of stuff from that era. <laughs> yeah. So crazy story. All right. So it, it was just amazing, though, watching that one dude in the Blue Jays jersey just feel it. He was just lost in his feet. He, you asked he was, a good question, though. Why didn't they track that guy down? I thought that I thought that guy was Frankie Lasagna. That guy looked to me like because that guy, he had the better play on the ball. Yeah, he did. Lasagna didn't have the right, he didn't take the right angle. He didn't. And he doesn't have very good range, apparently. I wonder how Frankie Lasagna's chicken parm is, though. That's, that's what, oh, that's man. right. The name of the restaurant is Terraza. You want to order some DoorDash? It could get here by, <laughs> maybe by the end of the show. Let's <laughs> go through customs, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm in. Chicken parm's never the same once it goes through customs.